grandchild. I mean, Tucker wasn't even close. Me as the favorite grandchild, I could sit there on the floor and I could pretty much watch just about whatever was on over-the-air broadcast television during that time or during that season. And so one of the shows that came on was called The American Gladiators. Some of you are going to look at me and you're going to go, what in the world? So some of you are not going to look and some of you are going to try to look like you don't know what I'm talking about, but you're guilty because you already know. But what it was, it was a show and there was some very muscular fit, both men and women, very athletic, and they had different competitions that some chump, some person would come get on the show and they would try to run this gauntlet of exercises or this gauntlet of obstacle courses. And while they were trying to run to be successful, you had the the shows called, they call them the gladiators that were trying to prevent and trying to stop the contestant from being successful. So you had contestants that would come on, you had the gladiators that were meant to stop them, and there was this, all of these different obstacles, and they had the same obstacles from night to night, and so you started having your favorite one. One of the favorite ones earlier on was where they had like the, the, ten, the tennis balls, and it was in those guns, I don't even remember what they called the guns, but as these people are running through the obstacle course, these gladiators are like, these machine guns with tennis balls and they're trying to ping these people with these tennis balls. But one of the ones that I found the most interesting was called the joust. And in the joust, there was always a gladiator and that's the, that was the specialty of that gladiator. And what would happen is, is you would take the contestant and you would take the, the, the gladiator and they would get on two pedestals that were elevated up in the air. Each of them were sitting on a pedestal across from one another and they had these Sticks. I don't know the exact name of what they're called, but they were long sticks that looked like a giant Q-tip. And so there was a there was a long stick and had padding on either end. And the goal was is that you were trying to knock your opponent off the pedestal. And so the, the uh, competition would start and that gladiator that has all the experience, you would think they are just going to cream that contestant, but that contestant sometimes will put up a fight. But as they're on that pedestal, not only did they have to keep their footing from getting off of the pedestal and falling, but they were trying to defeat their, own opponent, their opponent by knocking that person off the pedestal. What does this have to do with Jonah chapter four? Well, when I think so much of our daily lives, whether you're male or female, or whether you're a parent or you're not a parent, whether you're in your 40s like me or you're in your, still your teenage years, there is so much of our life where Satan is constantly trying to get us off of Center. He's always trying to get you and I out of our comfort zone. He's trying to get you and I out of the will of God. And if you think back to that imagery of sitting there with the gladiator, I am right across the, the, the pedestals from me and Satan. And as I am trying to serve God, follow God, do God's will, Satan is continually trying to get me where I am out of the will of God. I am out of where God wants me to be. And he's always trying to get me off center. And here in the book of Jonah, we've seen a lot of things go on in the life of Jonah. God comes to Jonah in Jonah chapter 1 and says, I want you to go and tell the Ninevites who I am and what I do. Jonah said, eh, not doing it. I'm leaving. He tried to leave. God went and found him out in the middle of the sea in the boat. God got his attention there. Jonah chapter 2 is where Jonah repents, says, all right, God, I was wrong. You're right. Then Jonah chapter 2 ends with the fish that swallowed Jonah, vomiting back up on the land. Jonah chapter 3 is when Jonah then goes to Nineveh and he says what God told him to say. And as the book of the chapter 3 of Jonah concludes, what happened was is Jonah went and preached and the entire city, the entire city got right with God. 
And if you were to end at Jonah chapter 3, you would think, what a marvelous, magnificent moment. It was the dream of every preacher, both then and now. You go to a place where people need to hear about Jesus. You tell them about Jesus and everybody gets saved. Everybody gets right from the smallest of the person to the greatest of the person. It was the decree of the king to all of the people get right with God. And if there's ever a time where we see in Scripture where somebody is right in the center of where God wants them to be, I can make a case this morning that it's Jonah chapter 3. But then you go to Jonah chapter 4, and we see Jonah get off center. I realize that you may describe it a different way. I'm just using it because it helps me understand this imagery and what is being shown here. We see Jonah get off center. And it wasn't because of the fact that something externally happened. It was the fact that Satan came. It doesn't say it in the text, but I'm just going to, in my sanctified imagination, I can just imagine everything's going great. Everything's going wonderful. And in that moment is when Satan comes and he tries to get you off center. He tries to get me off center. He tries to get the church off center and he brings challenge. He brings circumstances. He brings situations. He brings problems. He brings conflict. He brings all of these things into our lives to try to get us off center. And the question is, is how are we going to respond? So here in this text this morning, I want us to look together at the responses of Jonah because I want you to see with me as I've been looking at this text that there are primarily, and you may find more, there are three responses that we see from the life of Jonah that got him off center. And I hope that you and I can look at these this morning and say, you know what, there's something for us today in 2022 that we need to remember that we are not going to be immune from the trials and the struggles and the obstacles in life. But when those trials, obstacles, and struggles in life, we can make sure that we respond in a way that is pleasing to God and not respond in a way that gets us out of the will of God. So, Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. Previous chapter. And then Jonah chapter 3, all the people repent. The king gets right. The people get right. Everybody gets right. The entire city of Nineveh gets right. Jonah had gone into the city 40 days, and God will overthrow this city. He had told them, God's judgment is coming. So you would think, okay, even though when Jonah says 40 days, you're done, that's it. But what happens? Chapter 3 and verse 10, it says, When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do, to them, and he did not do it. Chapter 4 and verse 1. But, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. I want you to see with me the first response that we see from Jonah that gets us off center is that you get angry. You get angry. That is exactly what is being said in the text. What Jonah saw when he saw the entire city repent, when he saw the attitude of the king, when he saw everybody get right with God, it wasn't that Jonah said, oh, hallelujah. Oh, that is wonderful. Oh, we need to start a church. We need to take up an offering. Oh, oh, he didn't, he didn't get excited. He wasn't happy. He wasn't thrilled. What does he see? It said that it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Some of you, your translations will be a little different, but the idea that it wasn't just that it got him mad. What it was is that first of all, he didn't 
didn't like it. And not just that he didn't like it, he really, 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 really didn't like it. He was disgusted. He was repulsed. He couldn't stand it. He detested it. There was nothing that made him more upset than the thought of all of these Ninevites, all of these Assyrians getting right with the Lord. And not just that it displeased him, but he got mad. Why did he get mad? Because of what God did in verse 10. You see there in the notes, Jonah got angry. He is angry because God relented. You ever got mad when God didn't get somebody like you wanted the, like you wanted God to get them? You ever get mad when God doesn't do what you think God ought to do? You ever find yourself in the position that you're mad that God, why are you letting this person do this and you're letting that person do that and you won't let this person have this and we start getting mad at God because God isn't doing what we want God or what we think God should be doing. We get mad because God isn't doing it how we want God to do it. We get mad at God. It's sometimes humorous and sometimes revealing how often we will be tolerant of things in our lives and we will be tolerant of things in other people's lives. Or how, as long as we're on the receiving end of the benefit, it's always fair. But if someone else is on the receiving benefit of it, it's not fair. We get mad. We get mad at God. And you see there in this text that it said to displease Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Why was he angry? Well, I put there in your notes, anger is often the result of selfishness. It's often the result of selfishness right here in this season of my life. Jaylene and I's home. I mean, there is boys that are always coming up and we are at different stages of life and we're learning different stages of life. But one thing is true that when they get to about two and I think all the way up to the oldest one is 14. I don't know if it's going to end or where it ends, but this idea that it's me, 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 it's selfishness. They get upset when they don't get what they Want. And when they do that, they get mad. They get angry. It's like someone didn't give me what I wanted and now I'm going to get mad. Jonah is sitting here and his response to God when God was merciful towards the people is that Jonah got angry. How many times do you get angry throughout the day? How many times do you find yourself getting mad throughout the day? How many times do you find yourself in a position that you are angry and you don't even know why you're angry. You're mad, and you don't know why you're mad. Jonah's response was that he got angry, and my, my submission to you this morning is that when we get angry, not only is that an emotion, not only is that a feeling, but many times it has a purpose to get us off of center, because Satan knows when he and you, when he can get you and I in the flesh, and he can get us mad, and he can get us angry, then we get off of center, and the next thing you know, we start being led and directed by our emotions and our feelings instead of truth and wisdom from God's word. He knows when you and I get all worked up and all fired up, we start thinking unbiblically. So what happens? Jonah gets mad. He gets angry. But then he goes on in verse 2. So now he prays. He prays to God. It says in verse 2, And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Now, you may not see it here with me this morning, but I submit to you this morning that not just that Jonah was getting angry, but then I see here in verse 2 that he begins to throw a fit. 
In our home, the idea, the saying goes, is it okay to be mad? Yes, it's okay to be mad. Is it okay to throw a fit? No, it is not okay to throw a fit. I recognize in the normal ebb and flow of growing up as a male, I can't speak for you females, but I can speak for males, there are times that just through the maturity process and through the hormonal process, you get mad. And I tell these boys, okay, you get mad, it's okay to get mad. What's not okay is for that anger and that madness to become a fit. And we're having that problem right now in our society and in our culture because we're having generations of young men and even young adult men that are growing up that never learned how to discipline their anger. They never learned how to deal with their anger. And so they're growing up and they never were forced to deal with it. They were never expected to deal with it. They never disciplined it. Not that it ever goes away, but they were not learned how to discipline it. So now they think they're in their early 20s and they get to act however they want to because they have a right because they're mad. Jonah got mad at God in verse 1. Then he begins to throw a fit in verse 2. Why do I say he begins to throw a fit? Well, because the way that he prays to God. It says there in verse 2, he said, oh Lord. You might think, oh look, he's coming to God and he's being all reverent. No, 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 no. Watch what he does. He says, is this not what I said? When I was yet in my country, he's looking to God and he's accusing God and he's saying, God, this is your fault. God, I told you this was what was going to happen. God, I knew this was going to take place. He's accusing God of this situation and his anger of being God's responsibility. And not that he just accused God, but he blamed God. He said, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love in his fit. He is not only accusing God of being responsible for the situation, he's blaming God for his response in the situation and that he's justifying to God his actions in the situation. So he's looking to God and saying, God, the reason I went to Tarshish was because of your fault. It wasn't because of my sin. It's because I knew that you're going to be merciful and relent and not give these people what I think they deserve. It's because you didn't do what I wanted you to do. And I knew you weren't going to do what I wanted you to do. That's when I left. So we accuse, we blame, and we justify. And if you want an example of that in modern day time, come to my house. Or you can go to Walmart. Or you can get on social media. Or you can listen to people speak in the community for 10 minutes. It's always someone else's fault. Someone else is responsible. The person is never in the wrong. And brothers and sisters, as a society and as a culture, we need to recognize when we are throwing a fit against God. You see, Jonah jumped to conclusions, not in wisdom, not in truth. He jumped to conclusions in anger. Because he was mad, because he was mad at God, he started jumping to conclusions about God, and that put him in a state of throwing a fit. Now follow this with me. God said in chapter 1 in verse 2, go and preach to the Ninevites. And then here in verse 2 of chapter 4, Jonah is saying, I knew, I knew that you were going to be merciful. I knew that you were going to relent. I knew as, when, as soon as I went and told them about you, I knew they were going to get right with God. So what are you mad about, Jonah? Let me get this straight, Jonah. So God did what you knew God was going to do, but you're mad at God. child comes up and they're going to play with the wall socket don't play with the wall socket child looks at you no child you play with the wall socket I will discipline you 
for playing with the wall socket. That child continues to play with the wall socket. You get up, you discipline the child. Now the child's mad at you. Why? Because you did what you said you were going to do. You did what that child knew you were going to do. And yet that child is mad at you. And as an adult and as a parent, you look at them and say, quit acting like a child. This is where I love you. But myself included, there are often times we are guilty of being spiritual children. We know that's what God is going to do. And then we get mad when God does it. And then we get mad at God because we're mad about God doing what God said he was going to do. Jonah is sitting there saying, I knew you were going to relent. I knew you were going to show mercy. I knew you were going to be forgiving to these people. And yet I'm mad at you because you were forgiving, because you relented. And then I'm mad at you because I'm mad at you about being mad at you because. And you think all of this is throwing a fit. And how often do we get in those seasons or those moments of life that we start throwing a fit and the next thing you know, we're acting like and we're saying things, we're doing things that we would never do if we ever had our wits about us. So Jonah gets angry and he starts to throw a fit and it gets him off center. But then there's one more picture here that I want you to see through the example of Jonah and that is there in verse three. So it said it made him exceedingly mad, exceedingly displeased, he got angry and then he decided to throw a fit and then you get down to verse three and listen to what he says. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me for it is better for me to die than to live. Can you just imagine the scenery? He had just walked into Nineveh. Nobody in Nineveh was against him. Nobody was upset at him. He wasn't facing persecution. He wasn't facing any obstacles. He had just told these people about God. They got right with God. There's a great revival taking place. You can imagine the people looking at him and going, you know, we're really grateful that you're doing this. I'm sure he's probably got some some speaking invitations and some other things going on. But but because God was uh, relented and because God was merciful, because he was mad and because he was throwing a fit, What does he do in verse three? He just looks at God and says, oh, I just wish you would kill me. Drama. Drama. But beyond the idea of just being drama, what I see there in verse three is you become self-centered. You become self-centered. If you look down there in verse three, Jonah is speaking and he says, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life for me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And you go, Jonah, what is your focus? Jonah, where are you thinking? Jonah, who is important in this picture? Jonah, what is going on? Jonah, as he is speaking to the Lord in verse two and three, Jonah wanted it all to be about him. He wanted the praise. He wanted the attention. He wanted input. He wanted direction. He wanted it his way. It was all about him which is why it is so dangerous even in our current times when you hear phrases or thoughts or sentiments that go something like this. It's not about we, it's all about me. And there is a danger that is going on every single day in our society, in our homes, in our culture, in our workplaces, and even in the community of faith where people start to behave and act and respond as if it is all about the individual and not about the community, not about the mission of God, not about the things that God had given us to do, or even the danger, and I have seen it happen before, where you start having these ideas and these attitudes even come into the church where people start thinking that it's all about me instead about us collectively. 
It's all about me and it's not about we. And it's the danger that comes into the church that we start getting self-centered. It's not appreciated, enjoyed, or encouraged when it comes in a child. And it is not healthy, beneficial, or edifying when it happens in the life of the church. And yet, every single one of us in this room struggles with the temptation to become self-centered in our lives. And how does we get to the point we become self-centered? Well, there's a progression there. We get angry in verse one. We begin to throw a fit in verse two. And then we find ourselves in verse three at all being about us. We all become self-centered. I am the center of my universe and everybody exists to make me happy or to let me have what I want. It all becomes self-centered and it is all about me. Three responses that Jonah gives us. He got angry. He threw a fit, and he became self-centered. Responses that you and I can deal with, be guilty of, or be tempted with on a daily basis. So then how does God respond? Many of you knew I went to Kansas City this last week for a class that I'm taking. First time for me to go to Kansas City, first time for me to attend this class. A lot of first times are there and. According to the documentation and information, um, there was some housing that was available there on campus, and you could just get it by the night. It was going to be a third fraction of the price of any other motel room in the area, and the idea was they had some, some apartments, some multi-bedroom apartments that they could let students stay in during the week, and so you get a discounted rate, and you can stay there. So in my mind, I thought, okay, that won't be so bad. I'll go up there. I'm going to be up there Monday through Friday for this class. I'm going to use one of those apartments, and I'd done this down at Southwestern, down in Fort Worth, and I'd stayed in some of their on-campus on campus housing, and you had your your own bedroom, you maybe shared a common area, maybe shared a bathroom, but you had your own space. So you could study, you could think, you could do whatever. And I thought, man, this, this week is going to be great. I have the mornings and the evenings. I can try to get caught up in my schooling. I can try to get ahead of my schooling. I can do some sermon preparation. And I had all these really cool thoughts of all of these things that I was going to be able to accomplish in solitude. So I get out of class Monday afternoon. I've got the directions of where to go and I make my way over there and as I am trying to make access into the building and access into the place that I was assigned to stay, another man came up and he said, oh, are you staying in here as well? And I'm, I said, yes. And he's like, well, hey, I'll just go ahead and help you in. He helped me in and I walked in and I realized that it was a cozy two-bedroom apartment. And each bedroom had two twin-size beds and between each one of the beds, there was maybe three foot of space. You could lay in one bed and reach over and touch the other bed. And you may not know me, you may know my personality, but I'm looking at that and I'm going, okay, let me get this straight. So I'm gonna be staying here with three other complete total strangers that I have never met before. Sharing this one little common space all of us sharing a bathroom, sleeping in the same room with a person I have never met before. I don't know if this person is an ax murderer. I don't know if this person is, I don't know if this person is trustworthy. Everybody tells me I snore. I don't want to bother this person. And it's all these things that I start going through my mind. And so I look at it, and I'm like, I got to get out of here. And so I left and I called Jaylene on the phone and I'm like, this, this is not going to work. This is not going to happen. I thought I was going to have my own space, a little bit of solitude, a little bit of quiet. I thought I was going to have some place to get along and get out of the way. And now it's like I'm stuck in a hostel. No offense, Toby. 
but now it feels like I'm stuck in a hostel. And Jaylene said, what are you going to do? And I was like, I, 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 I don't know. I'm, I could go get a motel room. I could do this. I, I, I don't know. And about that time, and I don't want to be supernatural. I don't want to be wonky on you. But about that time, it was like the Spirit spoke to my heart and said, what's the problem? What's the problem? And I want you to follow with me in my train of thought. Because here you have Jonah, and he's mad. Jonah is throwing a fit. He's throwing a fit to the point that he looks at God and says, I wish you would just let me die. And then in verse 4, and the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? It's as if God looks at Jonah and says, what's the problem? What's the problem, Jonah? What's the big, what's the big point of being upset? Jonah, what in the world are you all stirred up about? Jonah, why are you all mad? Jonah, why are you all angry? Why are you throwing a fit? Why are you saying, oh, you just wish I would kill you? What in the world is the problem, Jonah? And sitting there Monday night, it was like the Spirit spoke to my heart and said, Spence, what's the problem? You've got a bed, an air conditioner. What's the problem? For me, the problem was I was too self-centered to see the blessings and the graciousness of God in my life. I don't know what Jonah was, I don't know what Jonah was in Jonah's mind, but I can tell you that when God comes to Jonah there in verse four, and he says, and the Lord said, do you well to be, do you, do you do well to be angry? Some of your translations may say, is it right for you to be angry? What God is asking Jonah is, Jonah, what is the problem here? See, the problem is not that I relented and showed mercy to the people of Nineveh. That's not the problem. The problem isn't the fact that I saved people isn't the problem. The, the, it's not the problem that you were here and that you are telling people about me. That is not the problem. What the problem is, Jonah, is that it was all about Jonah. Do you see this? The problem here in verse four that God is pointing to is that it was all about Jonah. Where do you get that from, preacher? Well, if you go through all of verse one down through verse four, and you can't, you, you circle there in your Bible, you circle the he in verse two. The he in verse one. <clears throat> I, 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 I in verse two. Then you get down to verse three and he says my and me. And now in verse four, you. Nine times Jonah is bringing the attention. He's bringing the spotlight back on him. Jonah is saying, this is all about me. And God looks at Jonah and says, Jonah, this is not a problem with the Ninevites. This is not a problem with my goodness. This is not a problem with my mercy or my grace. This is a problem because it's not all about you. And I wonder, I wonder who can testify to that this morning. That we get in seasons of life, we get in moments of life, we get in circumstances and scenarios in life that we find ourselves upset, mad, threatening to pack up our toys and go someplace else. I'm going to sow seeds of division. I'm going to bring up innuendos and conversations. I'm going to try to think and try to move so I can get my way or I can get what I want. Or you find yourself stirred up, you find yourself resentful, you find yourself angry, you find yourself bitter, you find yourself holding a grudge, you find yourself sitting in a position that you're not where God wants you to be, but you're where you want to be. And I wonder if God just looks at you and says, what's the problem? And I wonder how many of us, if 
we're going to be honest, would say, the problem is it's not about me. Jonah is sitting there, and God looks at Jonah in verse 4, and the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? I've thought about this verse, and I've thought about this verse in just recent moments when I've gotten mad, or I've gotten angry, and I've been wrong with my boys. I've been wrong with my wife. I've even been wrong with brothers and sisters in the church, and I got mad. I got angry. And I know we couch it in all this, oh, well, you know what, I'm just really concerned, and I have reservations. And we have all these ways to try to dress it up. And oftentimes, at the base of it, we're just mad. And I just, I've thought back about this, and I've thought if God comes and he speaks to me audibly, he speaks right in my face, and he says, Spence, do you do well to be angry? What's the problem, Spence? thought back. And I would, be, I would love to be able to stand before you this morning and say, well, you know what? It was because, you know, it was because they were not doing what they were supposed to do, or it was because they weren't uh, pleasing you, or it was because you told me to get mad. No. Every time I could think about it, it was because it wasn't about me. Or it was all about me, and it was not about God. And I wonder how many times this morning, whether you're male, whether you're female, whether you're a young person, whether you're an older person, how many times can you and I point back when we get mad and we get resentful and we start to lash out in anger? We start to lash out in throwing a fit. We start to lash out in becoming self-centered and all we do is think about us and it's all about us and we're going to manipulate and twist and turn where we get our way because it's all about us and we'll say things and we'll couch into things and we're so good at veiling it and this idea, this piety and this idea of religiosity, but at the core, at the base, what it is is we're mad, we're angry, we're throwing a fit, we're not getting away, it's all about me because it's all about me and it's not about God. So I can just imagine God looking down at Jonah. And we're going to get more in this next week as we finish up this book. But I can just imagine God looking at Jonah and saying, Jonah, what's the problem? And Jonah looking at God and saying, well, God, well, you know, and God just looking at Jonah and saying, Jonah, the problem is it's all about you and not about me. And I wonder what God can do with a man, what he can do with a woman, what he can do with a marriage, what he can do with a family, what he can do with a community, what he can do with a church. When as a collective voice, they can say with integrity and honesty in their hearts, it's not about me, it's all about him. So we get the question from God, what's the problem? And I would encourage you, and maybe I've made you angry already this morning, to ask yourself, what's the problem? Maybe you're going to go home this afternoon and you're going to get angry and you're going to get mad. I just, what's the problem? Now, if the problem is me, come talk to me. <laughs> but if the problem is just you're throwing a fit because it's not about you, then repent. Confess it to God and make it all about him. So what's the good news? Stepped on your toes. Hopefully the word has convicted us this morning. So what's some good news that we can leave out of here? Some, some positive thing that I can send you out the door with. This is the best I got. Number one, it's not about you. 
It's not about you. Spence, why is that good news? It's good news because you're not that great. (laughs) I am not that great. And it is such a great thing when in our humanity and in our fallenness and in our imperfection and in all of the warts and all, as one professor used to say, in all of that stuff, that it's not reliant upon me. I am so grateful that my children's eternity does not depend upon the faith of me. I'm so happy that the hope of this community It's not based upon my faithfulness. But the hope for this community has already been secured by God's faithfulness. I'm so grateful that your ability to be right before God is not based upon my personal sanctification this last week, but is based upon your opportunity to come directly to the throne of God. You think back to the Old Testament and those Jews in the Old Testament, their standing with God was in direct proportion to the priest's standing with God. Not the priests. The priests are standing before God. And so when that priest was compromised, you think about the sons of, uh, of Eli, you think about the sons of Samuel, when those priests were compromised, when those priests were corrupt, all the people were corrupt. And I'm so grateful we live in a day and age that we had the priest of the believer where you can go directly to God. That doesn't absolve me of responsibility, but that means that I am not sitting here and it's not about me and it's not about you. And that is really, really good news. And not just that. But we're reminded what else is a second piece of good news. It's not about you, but then number two, it's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's not about your perfection. It's not about your money. It's not about your performance. It's not about your intentions. It's not about your knowledge. It's not about who you know. It's not about how much money you make. It's all, all, all about Jesus. It's not a matter of your your sacrificing. It's not a matter about where you live. It's not a matter of the color of your skin or your education. It's all about Jesus. And you know what Jesus says? Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. That's good news. That's good news. But then this last one. And some of you need to hear this and some of you need to respond to this one this morning. Today, today you can get back on center. See, I started off talking about the American Gladiators and I started off talking about how they're sitting there on that jousting platform and you have the contestant and you have the gladiator and they're sitting there and they're trying to knock each other off and sometimes you would get a foot off and sometimes you would get out of position and sometimes you would have your stick down and sometimes you would have your head up and sometimes you'd be out of position and that gladiator would take advantage of it. And sometimes in our Christian wall, you and I can get out of position spiritually. Sin we're not dealing with. Forgiveness we're not giving. Behavior we need to put in check. You and I can get off center. And this morning, today is a morning. Today is a day that you can get back on center. Well, how do I do that, Spence? It's pretty simple. You write me a check for $15,000 and you promise not to do it again. No, that's not the way it works. It used to be, not anymore. The way it works is you repent before God. You recognized your fault. You recognize your sin. You recognize your error before a holy God and you come before that God and you say, I have sinned against you. Please forgive me and may I be more faithful tomorrow than I was today and I want to follow in obedience before you. That is what it looks like to get back on center. Does that mean that you are now immune from being pushed out of center or being pushed out of where you need to be? Oh, no, 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 no. It'll happen before you get out of those walls. It is a continual battle. But brothers and sisters, as you and I recognize the we're on that pedestal and we're fighting, we're fighting to be right where God wants us to be. And we realize that every single moment we are being buffeted against, we're being tempted, we're being pushed and we're constantly fighting back against that so we can stay in center. So center, 
So when God reveals sin, we repent of our sin. When God says do it, we do it. When we recognize the anger, the feelings and the emotions that get us off track and gets us throwing a fits and get us self-centered, we recognize those, we repent to those, and we return back to him. We recognize, we recognize, and this is so important. The safest place for you and I to be is right in the center of God's will. The safest place for you and I to be is right in the center of God's will. Where are you at? Where are you at this morning? There may be some of you in this room that you're dealing with anger. Maybe passive aggressive at this point, it may be isolation. Maybe you've just removed yourself. So often that's what we see in men where men get mad and men get angry and they just withdraw from other men and they just go and they're setting their anger. It's like just sitting in your own bathwater for days and days and days. It's just, don't do it. It's not helping. Maybe you're dealing with anger. Maybe you're here this morning, you're dealing with fits. I don't know what it is. And I'm not saying that you've got to announce it publicly, but maybe you're just dealing with a fit. Maybe it's more appropriate to say that you're being self-centered. This isn't an age-based thing. This is a behavioral-based thing. Maybe you found yourself in the point of life that it's become more about you and less about God. Or maybe there's something else, some other emotion or some other feeling that you're struggling with this morning. And I wonder if you were to apply the question of God to your life. What's the problem? What would God say is the answer? I pray that we're not Jonah's this morning angry, throwing a fit, acting, unsaved. Bow your heads with me.